Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Hey, Tommy Bahami. How you doing? Big Dave. How you doing, man? I'm, you know me, man. I am always excited, You're excited to charge into the discussions. You know why? Why? Because we're going to talk about the one thing I love to do a lot of, according to my wife. Communicate? That is talk. Communicate. <laughs> you okay. are, you are, I'm a, I'm a little bit of an over-communicator myself, Tom. Well, I'm excited to see what our guest thinks today. If we can over-communicate or can we under-communicate? Is there a magic we, sweet spot to that? We, we both know the answer to that one. We have Beth Errett, <laughs> who is the, the uh, hi, Beth. Hi, how's it going? Awesome. So this is actually our third engagement here together in the past couple of months. We did a webinar, the three of us, for Higher Logic. We did a podcast for Higher Logic, and now we've asked you to come talk to our audience. First of all, what so what does the association evangelists do? Because Higher Logic is now servicing a lot of verticals, right? Okay. And so you represent like the voice of the associations inside of Higher Logic. So uh, it goes association. Both ways. It goes both ways. Yeah. Inside of Higher Logic, definitely represent the voice of um, associations, but then also going out and helping associations strategize better around um, the communications products they use, um, figure out the best way to use our software in particular. Um, but obviously that includes plugins and other things that you can use with it. And just generally trying to help push associations further down the path of technology and smart use of it, especially because associations just have such generally have such small teams. All right. So usually we do this at the end, but in case somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, because I, I think actually I can hear somebody saying to themselves right now, oh, I need to talk to her. What, what's your email? How do people reach you? Um, it's B-A-R-R-I-T-T B -A -R -R -I -T -T at higherlogic.com. All right. So now Beth uh, hasn't always been at Higher Logic. She uh, she joined the dark side, as they say, from the American Association of Airport Executives, uh, from the National Council of Teachers and Mathematics, the National Board of Professional Teaching Standards, uh, where your focus in those organizations was generally around marketing, correct? Yep. Marketing right. communication. Yep. And, and so today, Tom and I would love to talk to you. I mean, engagement is a big theme. We ha we've had a couple episodes on engagement, I think. Uh, and if you want to listen to those where you can hear Tom talk about his 13 points of engagement, and you'll hear me talk about conversational engagement, you, you can go back to those. They're labeled in, in our list of podcasts uh, all about engagement. But more specifically, Beth, what Tom and I want to cover with you is, is talking very specifically about a communication strategy and what that means, how you come up with it. Tom, what else? In the frame of this mindset, first you have value. Well, first you have member pain points that drive the value. But if you don't have a good enough and effective communication strategy to unpack that value, Members are never going to hear it enough to where they want to engage in it. So communication, storytelling, and how you do that is so vital. And that's why I'm excited to Beth with her marketing expertise to kind of unpack all that because you got to because there's so many channels to market with now. And and what's the right balance? I mean, you know, we're seeing associations totally do away with their print, and I all and, and all because of one reason because they can they can measure what they feel like is the engagement in email. 
which Dave, we've been talking lately is not the best way to go. And, and like, we just had our industry publication do away with their pup paper publication to go to totally digital when only 20, now I know you, I know you don't like to hear this, but only 20 to 23% are actually opening their emails. And my question from the board, well, well who's talking to the other 68% of our members who aren't getting anything then? Cause if they're not getting the paper and they're not looking at the email, then they're getting nothing. So paper, I've, we, we are committed to print at our association. So I'm anxious to hear how we unpack the social media aspects, the emails, the prop check-ins, the print, all that to get an effective strategy. So I'm excited to hear best wizardry in this area today. <laughs> Well, and I will say at AAAE, we um, had not done away with print either. We still had a print publication. Um, we still had, we had our own in-house print shop. Um, and I did a bunch of variable printing. It was nice to have your own in-house shop because you could do that oh, yeah. really cheaply. Um, but ours was based on unsubscribes. We had a fair amount of unsubscribes because like a lot of associations um, for a long while there, they were just uploading a list into constant contact and that's who they were sending to. Right. They would send to the same list for six months, whatever, you know, before, before a conference. And they had like 80 events a year. Um, so they were just blasting everybody. And so they had a large unsubscribe list. And, you know, people are very impatient with email. Not only do they not want to open it, but if they do open it, a lot of times, if it's not relevant, they will unsubscribe very quickly. So um, we definitely kept our print there. And we focused on unsubscribes. Um, and then we also made sure that we kept the list with the, um, we used IMS as our database with the IMS ID, because we would upload the list of people who got those print pieces and then track how many of those people came back and maybe went to the site because we had web tracking or who were registered for whatever the event was. Um, it's not a hundred percent proof that they, um, it was a direct correlation, but if they hadn't done anything in a while, it was pretty good proof. So I right. would definitely say print is not something to do away with in this day and age where people don't read their emails. Now, that said, um, I would also say that it's harder than ever to do print right now because a lot of associations don't necessarily have their members' home addresses and a lot of people are still working remotely. So that's made it a little bit tougher. Right. How do you know if, any, if, if people are... Other than like, you know, asking them, how do you know if people are finding value in the print? I, I and the reason I ask this is I, um, one of the bigger mistakes in my life is when I turned 50, um, not too long ago, I joined the AARP because they had a really cool like travel bag that I wanted and it was 12 bucks. I was like, what the heck? I'm going to join an association because I'm in the business. And oh my God, the amount of junk they send me, I get so much print mail no emails interestingly enough but i get a lot of print and everyone i get they make it very clear how old i am that i'm elderly now and a part of aarp so i've made a point now to not only quit aarp but block them from everything i'm having a hard time blocking them from mail needless to say i get it instantly hits the trash how do you know when you're sending out mail whether or not people are looking at it or throwing it in the trash? Um, you don't, for 100%. Um, I will say, using your AARP example, that um, I've been getting their stuff since I was in my early to mid-30s. And I finally called them one day and I said, hey, look, marketer to marketer, I'm just telling you right now, I'm like 34. By the time I hit 50 and I can join, you will have spent more money marketing to me. Then I will, then I will, you will ever make from me. 
So just stop. Just stop. Um, and they're like, oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, no one, ever, thought, no one ever put it that way before. Yeah. Um, they, I was, they were just like, yeah, okay. Just okay. All right, we got another one. <laughs> There's <Yes>. a runner. <laughs> um, I will say that lasted about a year or two, and then I started getting stuff from them again. So they've literally, I could join tomorrow, and they have, would literally have spent more money uh, marketing to me than they're ever going to get out of me. So, okay, I, so they can afford it, though. No, but you can, you get a feel. Like, I know a lot of associations I've worked with uh, have journals, and they know people tell them in in either survey or they, they even face to face people tell yeah. them whether or not the journals are valuable to them or not yeah. and that's how you know whether print works or doesn't but work. do you i don't know that's what i'm asking you that's the question yeah um so who answered you know, there's, the a, there, there's an answer to this and let's do a prop fuel check-in <laughs> I don't want to drop names, but you're, my, you're our biggest advocate. I, I, so trust no, me. No, but it, we'll, it, here, I do here, want to here, talk here. about that piece of it because e yeah. that falls in the email category right now. Um, but I, I don't want to drop the mail stuff too soon. Yeah, talking about the no, print, I, you you don't necessarily. Um, so I think it's one of the most important things is to be able to tell who is answering your survey. Who is telling you what? Who is telling you that they like the print publication? What other things in your database match up with them? Because then, otherwise, you just know that one person said that. I always laugh. I, first of all, I always joke that they make you take statistics in business school so that you understand that statistics, statistics don't mean crap by themselves. Um, well, surveys are the same thing. They don't mean anything um, by themselves. You need more information, you need more data. You need to know who answered that survey. You need to know what segment of your market it was. You need to know, oh, let's face it, you need to know demographics. Older demographics tend to skew toward print. They're not usually as technology advanced. Um, Gen Z tends to skew towards, I am not opening an email unless you threaten my life. Um, you know, so you have to find other ways. You need to know who's answering that to the best of your ability, whether that's saying, I'm gonna take everybody in this segment. Let's use aviation as an example. I'm going to take everyone who I know is interested in security and I'm going to ask them this survey. I'm gonna send them this survey and see what they say. And then I'm gonna change my mind. I'm gonna take it and send it to all the people in operations. And I'm gonna ask the survey. Do I get the same thing? Do I get similar answers? Okay, then we know we've got some matchup at least. Do I get completely different answers? Okay, then I need to segment better and need to focus my communications across the board in a more segmented manner, starting with print. Maybe only the operations people are interested in print. Maybe only the security people are interested in print because they're worried about cybersecurity. And so they're really locked down on their emails while the operations people prefer um, tech because they're always out on the go and they like to be able to get things on their phone. It's all about the context. Well, and the other thing, too, is about looking at what is a different approach to your print publication. I mean, I remember giving a, a session on the, you know, how to get members to scream your name and beg for more kind of thing, my membership growth thing. And, and we've talked about this a great deal. One attendee raised your hand and said, you know, what, we you have just a brushed over that for the people that don't know. That was your first book uh, that well, you wrote. Well, that, well, no, that, that was my I, I have a book called How to Get People to Scream Your Name and Beg for More. But where that really actually came from was I had a membership growth 
Oh, okay. Uh, that was your talk. How to, get, how, to, mm-hmm. how to get members to scream your name. Okay. And it focused on the 10 keys of growing a membership and creating value and stuff. But we talked about this. And the number one thing that most associations do is they make costs be the driver because you're losing five grand a year, beginning to lose uh, money on your, on your uh, publication. You all of a sudden start thinking you need to cancel the publication. That's the wrong way to look at it because you're going to lose all that engagement and that, that marketing. So what, so she said, you know, I said, what are they thinking? Well, we have a 60 page journal that goes out monthly and we're looking at doing away with it because it's costing us X many grands a year. And I said, well, why don't you don't look at it as a journal? Look at it more as content conversational marketing where you're talking to your people, knock it down to 12 pages, put really reliable content and do it every other, every other month. That way you're still in their face six times a year with relevant content. They're more likely to read because it's only 12 pages or 16 pages. And it cut, you cut your, your cost dramatically going from 60 pages 12 times to 12 or 16 pages six times. And she's like, gosh, we never thought about that path. So people aren't thinking about how to redo or restructure because they're, especially if they're a journal, because they're they're so caught into the information. But you got to me, you got to think differently about what can that journal be? Can it be a a, a sixteen page um, marketing piece that's got lots of good content in it, you know? And it'd be easier to manage that. So I just think you have to think differently about when it comes to print than just looking at canceling it because it looks like it's costing you money. Agree. And also the other question is, how much? What percentage of that publication is, or the effort that you put towards that publication is for the members? And what percentage of the effort that you put towards that publication is for the advertising dollars? Because sometimes you're doing that publication because in part, because it's got a lot of advertising revenue in it. I agree. And um, the, and that's where you got to decide who is your customer. Cause that was the problem with the industry publication in our field is they got their revenue changed from being 30% digital, 70% print to 70% digital and 30% print. And they decided to do away with the publication because they thought that their advertisers were their actual customer. When in reality, they did, I learned that a survey that they did said that over 70% of the readership actually read the magazine. So to me, the readers are the, are the actual customers, not the advertiser. The advertiser is just the financing mechanism to pay for the magazine. Would, I mean, would you agree with that, Beth, or no? Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying that, you know, you may say, oh, this is taking too much effort or this is taking too many people and you need to stop and think. Yes, the articles are for the, the members. This is a member benefit. A lot of times you're going to get your member saying that that is the most important thing or your new email newsletter is the most important thing that they get from you. Um, there was a survey, ASAE did a survey 2019, I think it was, I don't think they did it last year, um, asking association marketers you know, what the number one folk, like value that they provided their members, what, what was their most important thing um, to provide to members. And they basically said news, that they were a resource for news for those people. And then there was another survey, and I can never remember who does it, um, that backed that up, that um, associations were the most trusted news source for people. When, because, when was that, Beth? Um, this one was 1919, 2019 and 2020, both. And it's the, it's Clatchim is, I can't remember what the name of it is, but um, there's a survey this one every year. And, and the survey said that basically 
associations were the most trusted news source because they're seen as the people who have the most, the values that are most aligned with yours. That's why you joined. And they have the same interests that you do in terms of moving things forward, your interest, industry, your job, your passion, whatever it is. And so that that's the thing that you're going to learn news from most likely um, to a point. I mean, you're not going to learn necessarily non-industry focused political news from them unless you learn it that it has an impact on your business but for the most part that associations are the most trusted news source and that associations consider providing news to their members to be their number one um reason for being and that one was 93 percent of association marketers said that and I, I wonder if that's changing um because if you look at the way things have evolved on the internet you certainly have fake news but you also have a lot of very 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 reliable sources of of information easily accessible at your fingertips and so back in the 90s and 80s and 70s and maybe even the early 2000s it was um you know you, you go to your association for news and information I just find it hard to believe that that's going to be the first place a, a Gen X or, or a Gen Y or Gen Z is going to go to for news and information. Gen Z, probably not. Yeah. 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 Right. Gen X, Gen X I would say, yeah. It depends on how, I mean, because there's so much misinformation and bad information on the internet that even good information gets quantified as it, it makes you think. Is that really true? Is there a slant? What's there? So what I always tell people that where associations truly, and this kind of goes to what you're saying, Beth, what associations really have a kind of a golden handcuffs grasp of now is not the information, but the interpretation of the yes. information. That's, that's, where they what have, that's where they have the corner. Because if I go to my is. association, our values are aligned and they're aligned with making sure that I succeed in the industry with the right mission and value and vision mm -hmm. statement. What they tell me should be right on the money. There is no question what that is. But on the internet, I see very good information that is highly questionable just because you don't know absolutely behind well, it. There, there's a lot of associations that have a, a bias in, in, oh, yeah. in no advocacy. Question. But that's part, of the, that's part of the point. Part of the point is that that bias fits yours. Yeah, in some that's cases. Where, yeah, but, that's, but, what, that's and, why it's become trusted. Plus, instead, I mean, most cases, instead of you having to go look here and there and everywhere and try and figure out what's right, you get a newsletter from your association, an email newsletter every morning or at least once a week, and it's or every evening, and it's got these articles. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to read this because they're always telling me the things that I know I'm going to care about. So this is where I get my news. All right, so I think I think we're getting a little off track talking about right. <laughs> value proposition and and content. Let's talk more about. Tell me, Beth, in your experience, what are the different components of communication, and what do you think are the most valuable? I think that, like everything, it depends on your audience. Um, I mean, going back to that email thing and the value proposition, you know, you are providing what they find valuable. And email may be the source that they find most valuable. I think that communication is so everywhere all at once now that there are a lot of different avenues of communication that you have to follow. And you have to be very, like, fit all generations and all little niches that you can. 
Okay, way too broad. Give me like, let's crank it down. Like you're you're being like so political about like I don't want to name a particular thing. Like no, I mean I literally speaking, yeah across the board. I, I think we said this earlier. Email is pretty, oh, email, yeah. like the number one form of communication. Email but, is the way is the most. That's the way you're going to engage with your members the most on a day in day out basis for most people. Okay, so yeah. we got email, we got print, we got uh, Tom said something about social media earlier. We have communities. Calls, literally picking up the phone and calling. But we got in-person events where you're we have communities. Communities, thank you. Higher logic is is the the the, the gold standard in communities. What yeah, else? Video channels, video channels. You know, webcast. Okay. You have all kinds of um, different social media and like side things. You've got Slack groups. You've got Discord. You've got group me, you've got text messaging, you've got WhatsApp, you've got all of these other ways that these people are communicating with each other that you might want to try and get in front of them, depending on where your audience is. So Dave, here, here is, here, here's, here's what I always would say about communication strategy as an association. We're, we're just three and a half people. So, you know, you would think, man, y'all don't have time to do it all. And I think most associations are looking for the most cost effective, what I say, free. That's why email can kind of drive the discussion when they're looking to go on from print to electronic, because they can send a PDF of their print magazine electronically, and it costs them nothing but the time to do it, which is next to nothing. So, but no one really reads those things. So I'm a big believer in this. Hey, because you sent a PDF that somebody's got to download and have the right Right. reader for. No, never send a PDF of your publication. Don't do it. and, and waste your color toner cost in your office that we were actually paying for and sending to you before. So, but here's the, here's the common thing. I'm a big believer that you should not really try and narrow your communication down to two or three free cheapy things. You gotta, you gotta go where your members are. And I'm a big believer that you got, instead of trying to get the most people into the one or two communication strategies, you need to do it all. And meet them where they are. So, you know, so we have a Facebook page. We have a LinkedIn channel. We have a, a, a monthly webcast on Zoom that gets good attendance. We, we do a print once a month. We do our weekly email. Um, we, you know, we have a Twitter. and a, we, we even have a Flickr account that has every single photo gallery from every meeting we've ever had since 2010. It How is much traction awesome. you get on that? It's, it's awesome. Well, what, where we get traction is when we go out to our social media channels or in, a, in a, one of our emails. And we post back, hey, check out what life was like in 2011 at the spring meeting. And you get all these people looking at it and going, man, I didn't know so-and-so looked like that in 2011. It just, it, it's not about getting so much traction. But here's the thing. Members don't participate and engage what they don't know what they missed. So the moment they start looking at these photo albums that we send out and they say, wow, that looks like a pretty freaking cool meeting. Good content. Looks like a lot of fun. I think I might want to attend one of those. So it's not like we have people emotionally going out and looking at all these different um, photo galleries on their own. We use certain elements to prompt people to go look at them and kind of check out what life was like. I mean, during COVID, we had blasts from the past every single week on our Facebook channel. What it was is I'd go out and pick a meeting from the last 10 years and send it out and say, blast from the past, check out what was going on in Wilmington, Virginia in 2011 at our fall meeting. And we get people going there, look at those things and even download some of the photos. So that's, for me, that's where the effective communication strategy is, is trying to find out where are your members at? I don't care if 10% of my members are only there. We want to be there with them to help them hear what they want to hear from us. So the question then becomes, how do you find that out? And how do you scale that with a small audience, with a small um, team? I, I, I can help with that. 
because first of all, you just said something, Tom, which I think is interesting. What do they want to hear from us? So, and this is like, I think this is one of the major problems with tools like email because email has been uh, turned into just a giant megaphone, a, a way for people to hear from you. And right. it wasn't originally like that. Email was actually originally created as a conversation system. Like it was created as a way for me to send something for, to you and you to respond back. And it created this, this dialogue. And so one of the things, obviously, you know, I'm in the business of conversational engagement. And so we, uh, my partner, Cameron, just, just out of curiosity, Googled the word conversation. And this is really interesting, I think. It's a talk between two or more people in which thoughts, feelings, and ideas are expressed, questions are asked and answered, or news and information is being exchanged, right? Think about all that stuff. You know what associations focus on? That last piece, news and information is exchanged. And it's really not even exchanged, it's just sent, right? So that's one of the major, major problems with associations communication strategy is right now, it's one directional. How are we gonna communicate all this amazing stuff we have out to our members? And with the exception of the community, Beth, I think that's a really cool, uh, uh, when, when Rob and Andy and Mark came out with this thing, what, 2008 or 12? Eight. Some, back then. I mean, this idea, it was like a listserv, but better, right? And so now it's a peer-to-peer -peer communication. But there's not many ways for people to talk to the association, to the members of the association. So the question is, how do you do that at scale? Well, I, I, just two words, it's conversational engagement. Not to say that that should be your only method of communication, but it needs to be a part of your communication is to embrace people. Let me give you one example of what I absolutely love. Because conversations happen everywhere. They happen in person, obviously. They happen uh, in email. Now that's where we're spending a lot of time. We're, we're also working on SMS, but in text messaging conversations can happen. Conversations can happen on your website with live chat. But the one that I wanna focus on, I think is, you know who's doing it really well are hotels. I went to two hotels in the past few weeks, one in Park City and one in DC. Did I did I say this in the last podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I had just gone to one that was in the same chain and I had gotten it as well. It is one of the coolest things. So I went to DC uh, two weeks ago, last week or two weeks ago, and I checked in and part of the check-in was like, I was hungry, it was almost lunchtime. Hey, can you tell me is like a good deli to go? Lots of good delis in DC. Like, is there a good deli nearby that that I can go to lunch with, with my friends here? And she's like, yeah, the um, uh, uh, Pennsylvania have something like that, that deli. And she had two blocks down on the left. I was like, awesome, that's really cool. That's where we'll go. So I get a text from the hotel saying, thanks for checking in. If you need anything, let us know. And then another text came through, and that was from like Ashley. Another text came through saying, oh, Mr. Will, one more thing. The Just so you have at the deli I mentioned to you at the check-in was this This is the name, this is the address. Let me know if you have any other questions, you need anything at all. Stephanie, like different person, but she's still texting me in the same string. Like that's amazing because what I know now is it's not a bot. It's a real person sending me a note and inviting me to talk back. I said, you're awesome. Thank you so much. She replies, no problem. Have a great day. 
Later that night, I wanted water in the room. Did I call? Did I hit zero on the phone? No, I sent her a text. I said, hey, would you mind if I could get some water? Another person responds saying, no problem. I'll send it up right away. So my point being is this conversation, this back and forth is a way, I don't want to say way more effective, although it is, but it's definitely a part of the communication strategy that few people are talking about or thinking about. It's always about how do I communicate what I have to say out to the world better? Well, Rant I think even, so I think you're going to get a percentage of people who will interact, whether it's on a community, whether it is with that kind of text messaging, whether, you know, anything like that, social media, you're always going get, to get a percentage of people who will interact. Then you're going to get that percentage who's not going to. And that's the one where I think you have to rely on data as their response and you have to listen to the data. Okay, but, but figure out why they're not responding. Perhaps, but I can tell you why because it's not relevant to them. Whatever it is you're trying to engage them with is not relevant. That's why they're not responding. Because I'll I'll tell you what if if someone's mother sent them an email or text or called them or well maybe not the phone call, but like any other method reaches out somebody's mother or sister or brother or best friend, you're gonna respond. Right. You're going to open that email. You guys know how much I hate open rates because of their inaccuracy, mm -hmm. but they're, they're, they're going to participate in that. They're not going to participate if it's some, some schmo they don't know. So mom's relevant, schmo irrelevant. So where do you fall in that mix of relevance? So increasing your relevance is a huge part of getting those people and yes, data can help tell us what would make things more relevant for those people not participating, not engaging. Well, it can tell it. It can tell us what's not relevant to them because they're not engaging. They're not clicking through. That's that's you a know, place to start but, if you've got but, nothing else. Let me jump in here, though. I, I tend to disagree, Dave, with you. I'm not a big contrarian, but I at my history of you're not a big contrarian. Is that what, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, I'm do, not. what do we have this podcast for, Tom? Go on with so, your anti contrarianism. So here's what I so so I think I think data is good, and there's a so in every in every industry there is a percent of people that no matter what you do will never join. There's another percent of people that no matter how good your meetings are are never going to come to the meetings. Why? Because they hate people. They don't like crowds. And they're intimidated. In communications on communities and, and stuff, there's a certain percentage of people who are never going to engage, no matter how relevant it is, because it's not personal to them. I mean, it, it's easy. I think it's a bad example to use mom versus schmo because. My, mom, mom's always going to be relevant to most people, but in an association that's got this business format, a lot of people are just takers of information. They just don't like, they don't, they want to hover below the radar screen and they're they lurkers. don't want to be involved. Yeah, they're they're lurkers. Lurkers. That's literally, so no literally how, for decades, there's been a, a type of person on the community known as a lurker. Is really important to them. Everybody's a lurker of cancer research until you get cancer, right? So all of a sudden, cancer research is extremely important to that person now. But depending on your personality type, you might be the type who just starts finding more and more information. Doesn't mean you're going to jump in and start having a discussion because maybe you don't want to talk about it. Maybe you, um, it's talking about it's too hard. Maybe you're just shy. Uh, maybe but you finding just, that like, information is engaging, I think, in one yeah, way or another. Agreed, going agreed. to sites. You're, that's where you have really to... Thing. Yeah, and that's where you have to track and read the data. And I'll bet they're talking to doctors most of the time. Actually, not everybody, unfortunately. 
Yeah, you always hear those horror stories of people that just don't want to even go to a doctor, and next thing you know, it's too late. But I didn't mean to make this go dark all of a sudden. (laughs) Hey, cancer. But I mean, I you know everything from, um, let's say driving laws. Okay, most people drive a car, right? Sure. How many people actually go out and engage and look at what how the laws change from year to year? Oh my God. Like nil. Right. Nobody. What you do. <laughs> hey, how about this? Wait, hold on. Hold I'm going to get a ticket on this. How? Why? Like what laws change? Well, not even just laws, like things like, well, laws do change like seatbelt laws, things like that. I actually do read the list of laws that come out, like that are going to go into effect, like every June, July 1st or whatever it is. I, I read the list. That is awesome. You, you say WTF every now and then. Cause you're like, who the hell needed that? Oh, totally. All the time. You like, and your really? Southern's cursing. Oh my who goodness. needs to be told that you uh, should not be eating cereal and reading the newspaper and putting on your makeup while you're driving up 395? Lots of people. I've seen plenty of them do it. But even think um, about your user manual of your car. How many people actually read that simply to find out when is my oil change has got to happen? When does the differential fluid got to be changed? When does me? this, this, I mean, it's, it's your second biggest investment you will ever make, but no one engages in reading that information. My father taught me, first time I bought a car, always read the user manual cover to cover. Back in 1975, 80, not 85, 90, 95. Okay, back before the internet-ish. Beth's giving me a look of shock for those of you that can't hear this. But I, I beg to differ. I suspect it was before the internet. You call them your only 50? Is that what your name tag is? 50-ish. 50-ish. All right. So this is a really important point that I want to make, though, because, Beth, and you, you, this is a lob for me. So what you just pointed out is you're like one in 500. You're, you're I, unique. Maybe even one in 1,000 that actually cares about some things where the vast majority don't. So this is where, when in your communication strategy, which is really kind of the the, the disheveled conversation here, the, <laughs> the the what's important about a communication strategy, you're dealing with a lot of individuals. You're not mm-hmm. dealing with segments. Exactly. You're not dealing with personas. Uh, Beth, what you just described is a, such a small niche, and an association were to send out a. a questionnaire saying or survey saying uh, what are you most interested you actually might be the the sliver in that pie chart that says hey i'm really interested in the new laws coming out on driving regulations right but and and if they look at that pie chart and that sliver they're just not going to be able to they're not going to broadcast stuff out to you unless they ask you beth what are you interested in you tell them and they're like wow we found the one that wants this information that we. But talk. here's my question: mm-hmm. If I'm one of only a hundred people who says, "Oh yeah, I re- I read this print thing cover to cover," then bump suddenly that up a bit, by the way. Yeah, then well, just it's one of a hundred people. Hundred thousand, yeah. No, if I was like one of a hundred people, that's All that's right. what that's my point about 100%. surveys. Okay. How many people ask? Suddenly, one percent of your audience reads the, the user manual cover to cover. Is that the case? No, no one reads the user manual. I'm like one in a bazillion, probably. Right. So, uh, so the, the, what what a, and the communi- good communication strategy should have is a way to pull that out of you. 
so that you say, hey, this is what's important to me, Beth Errett. Right. Yes. And so and then to take that in context. Because to know that I am one of a small majority of people like that, take it in context. But it doesn't mean they can't service that and make and provide you with that value. That is true. Yeah, if, what if, if it's what, what they do and what they know, and, and that's a, even if it's just a small piece, um, they might be able to say, wow, yeah, we actually have that information and here it is for you. Well, I'm also one of a minority of people now who still drives the stick ship. Yeah. So what if Beth is not just one? What if you do that and you find out that Beth is whatever you ask is 20 of 100? You know, now you, now you know you need to actually dedicate some larger resources because more people than you thought actually have that same common interest. Whether you create a discussion group around it, you have a webcast on it, there's all kinds of things you can do. And then the other 80% may not have the same interest because they don't, they haven't tapped into how important the information is. And all of a sudden they listen to Beth, hear how she's using the information to be better, more marketable, more profitable. And they're like, you know what? I never thought about using it that way. That is genius. And all of a sudden the number swells because you're, because you created a communication arena that unpacked the value to one person. It opened up the opportunity that other people saw that as valuable too, because they never thought through their mind how to use that, that information. That's such a key factor in your value proposition. What haven't from a communications perspective, and I want to try to wrap this up if we could, what, without going too deep into it, I'm just want to identify like what channels, what communication channels haven't we talked about that we're leaving out here? I think we talked about a lot of them. Um, what I think we didn't do was necessarily talk about how to be so many places at once. <laughs> um, I think a big are. answer to that, don't laugh at me. Um, don't, 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 don't smirk at me. But I think a big answer to that is RSS feed. Be, can you explain that a little bit more about why or about what RSS is? Which one? <laughs> how, how it doesn't? How is RSS the answer to how you're in more places at, all at so, once? So, I'll give you an example. Um, so, AIAA, um, an organization that works with us, has um, information that they post on like five or six different things at once they like they post it on their community then they post it on their discord channel for college students they post it on their website they post it on their social media um and um the community actually has an rss feed that you can pull from so what they've started doing is they post information on the community and then they use the rss feed to then disseminate it out to syndicate it out to their discourse channel their website all these other places they started with discord now they want to look at doing the other ways but you can create RSS feeds to, um, with um, connectors like Zapier and Ift, you can use those to put your information in one place and disseminate it just about anywhere that your members are. And so, so basically that's like the um, Hootsuite of content, uh, of Kinda, yeah. form content. So Hootsuite allows you to post comments and images out to social media, multiple places all at once. RSS feeds, you're saying, is more long-form content that you can publish in lots of different places all at the same time. Yeah, you can do newsletters. You can do your whole newsletter through RSS feed, just populate the newsletter. 
um, put it on pretty much any social media or Slack discussion channel, anything like that. Um, I actually have the community feed from the marketing automation community in higher logic communities and hug comes to me in a group B group, which then goes to text message. So every time somebody posts on the hug marketing automation community, I get a text message and then just for fun to see if I could, I set an if to um, have it ring my phone. So every time somebody posts on the higher logic um, users group and marketing automation, I get a phone call telling me okay, that so a new that's the second time you mentioned if, which is if this, then that IFTT, mm -hmm. I think they changed IFTTT three T's. If yeah, this, that. that, right. And I, I think, didn't they change the name a year or two ago to if or no? No, it's still if. Okay, so it's if this, then that. It's an I app, think they changed it and they changed it back because it confused people. So it's a website. It's it's a service that allows you to create all these different automations. Hence, if this and that. If it looks like rain, if my weather app tells me it's in a rain, send me a text to grab my umbrella. You know, right. or if I take a screenshot on my phone, then add it to my photos. Yeah, so like that's if this and that or if which you've mentioned a couple times. Yeah. Cool, yeah. cool app. Very cool here's, app. All right. So here's the thing on, on RSS, just to really kind of because I want to give another another side of this is is make it very easy because any any association of any size can do this. Make it easy for your team to engage in in your different platforms. So it'd be very easy for me to go to, you know, on my schedule every every other day I have post something on Facebook and LinkedIn channels that was exciting for that day. And I do that around three o'clock because I've gotten, you know, six good hours of work in that something could happen during the day by three that's worth posting, but it just pops up on my schedule and you go to your team and say, look, something exciting happens at least every other day at your desk membership, you know, whatever the department one, every other day, maybe however many days you want every third day, cause you don't want to inundate people but every third day, have it on your calendar to simply sit back for 60 seconds and post our Facebook page what happened that was exciting about a member or your desk that day. That boils it down into simple incremental steps that you can be a lot of places at a lot of times. Because when you say, hey, look, I want you to post something every day on Facebook, it's like overwhelming to some people. Just say, look, every third day, 60 seconds, take five minutes away, what happened that was at your desk and post that out to the members for them to see. You get but that's just on people. Facebook, though. But you can do it. I mean, you can do it on LinkedIn. You could, if you just do it on, I mean, for, mo for most people that's just looking to take the steps, if you just do Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, you'll cover the vast majority of where a lot of your members are. And that takes, you can post something to each one of those in probably two minutes, you know? And, and if it's on the schedule, it gets done, in my opinion, if it's on somebody's schedule and on their work day. So, Agreed. but you just have to, you have to kind of partition out your, your teammates as to who's going to post when and how often, and just make it in small incremental steps. So all of a sudden you look at your LinkedIn and Facebook and your uh, Twitter stream, and you all of a sudden have all this activity about great things happening throughout the week. And I think that you've hit on the biggest and most important piece of communication, which is consistency. Mm -hmm. You don't want to hit people with a barrage one day when you've got time and then they hear nothing for months. You want consistent cadence. Right. That is all what right. builds the way Tom and I have across the board, this is the one consistency in all of our um, podcasts, by the way, is we we uh, um, always ask the same question at the end, which is, what is your number one takeaway? And we always give our guest 
the third chair here because we want to give you a second to think about it and process it. So, Tom, why don't you go first? What was your key takeaway from the conversation today? So my key takeaway is go where your people are and be there with content that they would like to see. Mm, okay, I'm going to I'm going to focus on a, a point that it's it's I think it's generally my soapbox, which is most of our communication is um, talking at people. And I think there needs to be part of your communication strategy must be uh, the other direction, giving a voice mm -hmm. to the member. And I don't think we pay enough attention to that piece of it. All right, Beth, what do you got? Um, I'm going to go with the consistency. consistency. Yeah, I, yeah. That, I was I was actually when you said the consistency, I almost interrupted you and said, well, wait, hold that, because this next question is going <laughs> to yeah. lead you in that path. The consistency. Where I will say one ahead. thing about your takeaway, and that is that silence is conversation. If they're being quiet and they're not saying anything, that in itself says something. It does. So. This is so hard. I'm trying to be silent. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great experiment, Dave. Way to bring that on, Beth. That was, that was great. so hard. I, I could see Dave and me's tongues were like, mm, mm. <laughs> That looks painful. Do you feel okay? Do you need a so Tylenol what, what, or something? What, what, I need a what drink. did you say in that 60 seconds, Dave, when we heard nothing? <laughs> 60 seconds. I think that I'd be lucky if that was six seconds of silence. <laughs> all right, Beth, thank you so much for joining us. It's been always really a pleasure. Beth, always moment. a pleasure talking to you. Dave, buddy, good to see you. I can't wait to see you again. People keep listening in because you're not just strong. Your association is strong. We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.